When you almost die, at age 22, everything changes. It got me thinking about what I wanted to do before I actually die. Because life is unpredictable. Can you relate? I'm Kiki Kelly, and this is my story. My friend Amy Hallberg thought I should share some of my stories with you. Some are hard, some are funny, and some are just unbelievable. But they're all true. So here we are. Season 4, Episode 2. Tales from an Inadvertent Bucket List Champ. It's important, I think, at this point to say that wrestling is not just wrestling for you. In that way, it's pretty Jungian in the sense that it's emblematic of something much bigger. So do you want to talk to that, Kiki? Sure. Sometimes when people I I don't know well hear about me and wrestling, they assume I'm talking about, or what is it called again? WWE? WWE. What's it? Worldwide? Yeah, I don't know. WWE. Okay, so I have seen Lucha Libre and I have seen WWE wrestling, but those are not what I'm interested in at all. I have no deep fondness for those types of wrestling, professional wrestling. But for amateur wrestling? Okay, and what is that? What is professional wrestling? What is that? Professional wrestling is uh, more of a theatrical event where everything is planned. It's it's choreographed. And the the winner and the loser are, you know, predetermined. Okay, so for example... Our governor, our former governor, Jesse Ventura, or so when I was growing up, I went to school with the kids of Baron Von Raschke, the claw, and we saw him and Jerry and my grandpa was so excited to meet the claw. So that's not the kind of wrestling you're talking about, not not Jesse Ventura, not the claw. No. Absolutely not. No. Um, I am the biggest fan. Part of why I'm a big fan of the Olympics in general is because they're all amateur athletes for the most part. And especially for for wrestling, the highest form of wrestling, absolute apex of wrestling is amateur Olympic wrestling, I think. There's also uh, World Cup wrestling, which is still amateur. And that's amazing too. But for me, there's nothing greater than seeing Olympic wrestling. Well, and you said that there were two original Olympic sports. Right. There was the marathon. Everyone knows that. And everyone knows that the original Greco-Roman wrestling, which is what I was being asked to be a team leader for. <laughs> Crazy. And to be, to be really clear, like you were never a wrestler, right? No, I would have been a wrestler. I wrestled with my brother and I could pin him. I could beat him. Well, and the sports that you did in college were pretty physical. I mean, yeah, I played brimball and field hockey and rugby earlier in high school and junior high. I did basketball and volleyball. And growing up, I was in softball and played football with the boys. So I was always and swimming. I was always doing something with sports. But what I would have been really good at was wrestling. And your brother got to wrestle, but you did not. Correct. It was never even a thought. Um, I knew the wrestling coach really well. And his daughter was in my class. And there is no way he would have allowed girls to wrestle. Let's ask that question. Why not? Huh. Well, there are still schools. There are plenty of high schools and uh, 
countries where girls wrestling is not allowed and usually it's because of modesty supposedly or it's boys will feel weird wrestling girls or you know it's just inappropriate or you shouldn't be able to see a girl in a in a singlet although I don't know how that's any different from a boy in a singlet but one of the ways that we're working around that in the Middle East is to have singlets that have a built-in hijab and uh, a little skater skirt so it would cover your tail and your head and that would take care of it no but so when you came into it wrestling was through the male side of things the male sport of wrestling yeah and there weren't any just female sports you know like i knew male softball teams but there wasn't yeah that was the only sport that was just a boys sport Right. And when you decided, for example, to sponsor the Kiki Cup, which we need to talk about that, but when you decided to sponsor it, it's not like there were lots of women involved in wrestling at that point. Is that true? Um, Not with Greco-Roman, for sure. USA Wrestling had girls wrestling, female wrestling as early as, you know, 1994, but it wasn't funded. And so it wasn't taken seriously at all. The first time that there was girls Olympic freestyle wrestling, women's freestyle wrestling, because it was definitely women's actually, was 2004. Now, if you can imagine, so Japan started way earlier than we did, probably in the 90s. Um, I'm not exactly sure when, but they had a huge jump start on us. And so we started in 2004. By 2016, we had our very first American female gold medalist in Helen Maroulis for the women's freestyle team which is amazing. She had to beat a dynasty, the dynasty of Japan, and a woman who had had like multiple, multiple gold medals and World Cup. So to trace this path, because most of this series is going to be about, the rest of the season is going to be about your time as the male Greco-Roman team leader. Correct. <laughs> your current position. And so we're, you know, how do you get from there to here, right? Your current position is as the team leader for the women's freestyle wrestling. Right. And you could just say the women's team because women only has freestyle. Women doesn't have Greco-Roman wrestling. Okay. Why do women not have Greco-Roman wrestling? Okay. So Greco-Roman wrestling, besides being the very first one of the one of the two first Olympic sports is also an upper body strength sport. Everything is done from the waist up. So there's lots of throws and it requires a physical strength that isn't common in women. That's not to say that it can't happen. It's like women army rangers, right? Mm-hmm. So what I have noticed is that some of our women wrestlers will go and practice with the Greco-Roman team to learn some of those techniques, like how to throw so it almost becomes sort of a hybrid thing, like the, the freestyle influenced by Greco-Roman. Yeah, I mean, it's you still have the rules that's purely for your sport, but it can enhance your workout. It's kind of like if you were, oh, let's say some athlete and you started doing CrossFit or uh, football players doing ballet. So it can be beneficial, but women's freestyle and men's freestyle is the same type of wrestling. Got it. Got it. So when you're talking about women's wrestling, then where do women stand in wrestling today? I think it's the most rapidly growing sport in high schools, but it's not in all high schools yet. So there's a woman named Sally Walchick Roberts, who is a bronze medalist. um, And she started an organization called wrestle like a girl. And it, it, it petitions different schools and just, you know, lets them know like, Hey, 
girls can wrestle too. And they have weaker and weaker arguments for not having wrestling for women. They'll say things like, we won't be able to get the alpha male boys that we need for wrestling if we've got girls on the team. Or we can't find enough girls who want to wrestle to make its own team. Those are the same arguments they had back then for girls' soccer and girls' hockey. And somehow it's all worked out. So how is wrestling different? Is it different? Maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't think so. I think girls can wrestle. Actually, our women's team is... Yeah, brag on some of these women. Tell us about the women on the team. Oh my gosh, Adeline Adeline Gray has won, I don't know how many World Cups, but she has won a lot. She is just a stud. <laughs> Sorry. And Helen Rulis won the gold. She's placed at Worlds. I mean, these are top flight athletes who, you know, are interviewed by Sports Center and places like that. If the networks would show and highlight women's wrestling more, there would be more fans because it's such an exciting sport to see just these absolute athletes, monsters on the mat. Wrestling, wrestling for me. Okay, so you talked about the symbolism of it. And for me, it's you wrestle through your problems. A, a grind match is a match where you're just you're just in it. Every point is hard won and you just have to struggle and struggle and it's not fancy and it's not pretty, but that's life. That is life. My trainer was saying a long time ago and it stuck with me that it's the days when you don't feel like coming in. It's the days that you don't feel like working out. It's the days you have a cold, you're just something. You just don't, you're not in it. And that sweat and the tears and you know, just the fact that you made it to the gym that day that is when you make the hugest progress. That's when the gains are made. And it's the same for wrestling as a sport. I mean, grinders are the hardest workers out there. They're the ones who they'll get it done no matter what. They're going to get that point. Point by point by point, they're going to win their match. Or they're going to die trying. <laughs> so, <laughs> Okay, so to that point, if there aren't teams for girls, how did they become the elite athletes that they are? This is where I get to tell the little um, story that Helen tells because she was just a, a scrawny little girl of Greek descent. And she said that she just really wanted to wrestle and she didn't know exactly why. And she asked her dad and her dad said, sure, Helen, as long as you win one match. Well, she wrestled with the boys team and just lost and lost and lost every single time until <laughs> the very end when her dad said, you know, I gave you a month and I said, you'd have to win one match in order to keep going. And so she won that, she won that match. <laughs> Because it was an ultimatum. Exactly. Because her dad said she couldn't wrestle if she didn't win at least one match. So she won that one match and then she just kept going. Wow. So each of our women's wrestlers are heroes just in and of themselves. They had to wrestle against expectations for what girls did. And some of them cut their hair short just to try to be more like, like a boy. To fit in. Yep. To try to fit in. At this point, is it starting to get to be the place where they can be the powerful women they are and be wrestlers? It is now. You go and see these youth tournaments. I've had the oh, the great pleasure to hand out awards and give a little speech to like a girls tournament called War of the Roses. It was so cute. I met a little girl who became my daughter's wrestling partner. And then years later, she's now a triple crown. So she 
She won all three of the major awards that you can win in wrestling. She's just a superstar, but I met her when she was just starting. And these girls were so like, they clearly had wrestled with their brothers. They never thought for a second that girls can't wrestle. It just wasn't a thought. And the parents that I met had boys and girls. They just brought their families to wrestle. You know, I think it's so amazing. And I and I know that like our generation was sort of on the forefront, but like the girls who grow up with the sports where it was never a question of whether they could or not. They just, they're just native to it. And they just assume, well, yes, I can. And how wonderful is that? I think it's really important. Um, hey, parents out there, if you think your kid might be great at wrestling, whether they're girls or boys or whatever, anything in between, ask for wrestling to be made available. I want to segue a little bit. We said we were going to talk about this. So your career with USA Wrestling has not just been about the sport, but it's also been about fighting for various causes in the world. And we're going to unpack that much more. I want to go back to that Kiki Cup because it's the origin of a lot of things, things that you carry forward even, you know, with the women's wrestling now, right? That there was a cause that wrestling could be a vehicle towards something bigger. I mean, I I saw what the men's team had done just by going to Russia and Iran and made friendships through sports diplomacy. And of course, when you're playing a sport or you're participating in some kind of cultural pursuit, you know, like symphony, I don't think anyone thinks of themselves as, as a, a diplomat, but they are doing diplomacy. I mean, it's, it's how these bonds are formed between these disparate countries. And as you said, these are not necessarily countries that we as Americans are really familiar with even. Yeah, well, there's, for example, Cuba is a country that most Americans cannot go to, and, and Iran is another one. But wrestling is allowed there. The wrestlers are allowed with open arms. Lots of friendships have been made. And the State Department piggybacks on USA Wrestling because of that when when dealing with crises in, in Iran or in Cuba, for example, and now in, in Russia. We're going to get to that. We're, we're going to unpack that for the next several episodes. Can we just talk about the very first time that you saw that opportunity? Sure. Dave Sarovchuk was visiting um, Minnesota from Colorado Springs, which is where he was uh, an Olympic wrestler. We heard the terrible news about Newtown and Sandy Hook, yep. And one of the stories that came out about one of the kids right away was a little boy named Jack Pinto, who was the type of kid who was, you know, he was at a wrestling meet and he goes, hey mom, I got something for you. And she, he handed her his tooth and then just ran back to keep, keep wrestling. And that right away, when Dave and I heard that, we were both like, that's the Greco-Roman team right there. That's the wrestlers that we know. I said, well, what if, we renamed the Kiki Cup to the Jack Pinto Cup. And he thought that was a great idea. And so it took a while because obviously you're not going to be immediately contacting the family. But eventually they did rename the cup and invited the family. The mom didn't come, but the dad and the brother came. All the wrestlers had Jack Pinto's name on their shoes, their wrestling shoes. We had to outfit the little brother in head-to-toe USA wrestling stuff and show them around the Olympic training center. Just something to come out of that horror, even though it was so small. Well, and I think what's so amazing about that is, right, it's just a day. But you give his name to this tournament, and it tells his story, and it helps people to see who this kid was. Really, those stories make a difference. 
You know, who are we fighting for? What are we doing this for? We're doing it for Jack Pinto. We're doing it for those kids. That's why I'm doing the podcast. That's why we're on the other side of looking glass <laughs> to make sense out of things, to tell these stories, because if I could do some of these things, other people can too. And that's what we see with girls in wrestling, for example. You, you know, my daughter saw girls wrestling and was like, sure, I can do it. Of course I can. That's what I want to do. And she did for a while. It didn't turn out to be her thing, but it was pretty exciting to go to Twisted Sisters Wrestling on Monday nights in Wisconsin. It was fun. You know, you, you referenced this in the previous episode. Those things that we don't even get the chance to try. Yeah, how would you know? How would you know if you're good at something? If you don't see it, you don't get a chance to try it. And then we carry those dreams forward and put them onto our daughters. Your daughter got a chance to try it figure out that, yep, this is not for me, and move on, as opposed to always wondering, what if? Me, <laughs> always wondering, what if I had been a wrestler? I know I would have been a good one. I know it, I know it, I know it. So anyway, these wrestlers, male and female, both Greco-Roman and freestyle, I am totally invested in their pursuit of being the best athlete they can possibly be. And it's never just even the best athlete. They are of sound mind and body. They are just good people. Really, they're the best of America. <laughs> and I'm sure they feel that same way in other countries as well. We're not state-sponsored. Is that customary in other countries that the state sponsors Olympics? Many, many other countries are state-sponsored. For example, Russia, everything is state-sponsored. Iran, it's state-sponsored. But not here. We have individual independent teams and we have team leaders throughout. So team leaders for like BMX biking and kayaking and, you know, there's mom and dad figures in bowling. There's a team leader for bowling. <laughs> so, I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense because these are young people who already have so much pressure on them and so much to think about and worry about that they need a parent figure, someone who's looking out for them and their passport and getting to where, when, why. <laughs> you say that, and I, and I think about, there was a statistic or something I read somewhere, something where it talks about kids who get in trouble and kids who turn out okay. And the kids who have the adult looking out for them, they have outlet for their energy, they have something to do, they have a purpose beyond just go to school and get the good grades. You know, they have something they're working towards. It helps them to tap into who they are and, you know, you speak about your friend, Dave Sorovchik, all the time. He was, remind me, he, he was a medalist, yes? No, no, no. He was part of a, a team that was coached by Fraser, who was the gold medalist. Rulon was, I think, just after them. Rulon was the next guy to get a gold. And he had to defeat Karelin, who was a Russian powerhouse. So, I mean, our men's teams have had to unseat... Russians and Iranians in order to get medals. But still, you've talked about he was a elite athlete. And he isn't anymore, right? He's a professional. You know, he's out in the world. That success in the ring, that success in I set a goal for myself and I followed through into it and I was able to achieve good things, it transfers to other fields. Absolutely. Just like Boys and Girl Scouts, for example, and working toward big projects. It's the same thing with any sports. That's why coaches are so inspirational. You know, when they're good coaches, they can touch a lot of lives and really change the trajectory of a life that might not have gone in a certain way. 
you for listening to this episode of Tales from a Bucket List Champ. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with friends. Our sound editor is the talented Will Quee. Our story editor and producer is me, Amy Hallberg, and our writer and executive producer is Kiki Kelly. We'll be back next time with Episode 3, Welcome to Iran. Until then, what's one item on your bucket list?